0: Uh, all the way through the New Testament, you know that the name Jesus, Yesu in Greek, so it sounds a lot like Spanish, Yesu, and uh, it means salvation. So you remember when the angel appeared to Mary and said, thou shalt call his name Jesus for what? Yes. He shall save his people from their sins. And so his name is Jesus because he saves. Uh, when we sing that song, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, we're repeating ourselves, really, and that and that's the way it should be. So even though Joseph and Mary didn't have anyone else in their family, uh, by that name, probably, uh, immediately anyway, they used that. So uh, we know that. Now, in our generation, I was thinking back over, you know, the, the uh, the 20th century or the second half of the 20th century that we've known and, and up to now, it's kind of interesting how the name has been used. Uh, I remember the Jesus people, you know, of the 60s. Uh, those of us are leftover hippies, you know. All of our friends went off and became Jesus peoples. And uh, then there was the uh, Jesus Seminar. Remember that? Remember that uh, some years ago now, in the 60s, I think it started, and it went on for a number of years, where liberal theologians uh, were on the third quest for the historical Jesus. Uh, you know, that when, when liberals talk about the quest for the historical Jesus, it's exactly the opposite of what you think it is. Uh, there was a historical Jesus, of course, and they don't, they're not really thinking about that. What they're looking for is the liberals. They look at the Bible. They read the way the Bible portrays Jesus, and they conclude that can't all be true. So we need to find what really is true, and that they call the historical Jesus. So uh, the Jesus Seminar was a, was a thing where they had... Um, I don't know how many scholars I think it started out oh, it started out with 30 and went all the way up to 200 by the time the whole seminar was over over the a few years and uh, th- this is where they they took actually they took five gospels I think it was the gospel of Thomas maybe they included and they uh, they had uh, uh, they were color coded if a uh, passage in the gospels in in the four Gospels, they thought was original, actually written by those men and true of Jesus. They marked it red, and so that was original. When they were all done, by the way, only 18% of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John was marked red by these guys. If it was less than that, it was pink. If it was less than that, it was gray. And if there was no way it could be authentic, it was marked black. So by the time, here, here they're looking for the historical Jesus, and by the time they get done, they only accept 18% of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that tells us anything truthful about Jesus. Isn't that something? So we went through that time and uh, really kind of maybe the last uh, of the uh, liberal propositions that came along in our lifetime, although every time Hollywood makes a movie, It's a liberal proposition, right? I mean, you know, it's amazing what Hollywood can come up with. But, of course, they try to destroy uh, uh, the biblical picture of anything and and of Christ himself, and they've done a pretty good job of it, too. Unfortunately, I think in our lifetime, and uh, especially in the uh, last 30, 40 years, we've had what I would call Jesus for sale, and uh, now our generation basically sees Jesus as a big advertisement. And when you think about it, that's kind of what our world makes out of it, isn't it? I mean, the, the, the trinket industry, you know, uh, Jesus kitsch, they call it, uh, from every little trinket to bracelet to picture to whatever is a huge industry. The, the recording industry, folks, from the records to to the tapes, to the CDs, now to the downloads, the movies you can, you can download and so forth. This is multi, multi-million dollar business. And uh, if, if they did away with any of that, uh, it probably hurt the, the American economy more than, <laughs> more than Chrysler did, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it's unbelievable how, how many millions of dollars are made in that industry. And I would say the whole worship business, because worship in church has become a business. Uh, everything from uh, what what you buy to show to copyright to use to hand out. I, I mean, it, it is a multimillion-dollar business also. And then there are what I would call the dime-a-dozen bands. You know, every kid growing up, even a Christian kid, thinks he has to be in a Christian band somewhere. And they're a dime a dozen. They all sound the same. They look the same, and so they're all of those. And uh, and then you come down to Christmas business, right? I mean, that we're going to experience this month. Although, you know, they're sweet and sour with that. I mean, you know, we have always, all of our lives, kind of bemoaned the the uh, commercialization of Christmas, of course, and and talk about a multi-million dollar business for. You know, stores and the rest. And yet, on the other hand, because it's Christian, we find businesses now hands off, right? I mean, they can mention every other religion and they can mention every other, but now all that Christmas is about is Santa Claus and the songs that you hear in a store can't be a religious song of all things, you know. It's, uh, you know something about Santa or reindeers or you know, jingle bells or whatever. So, so it's kind of a sweet and sour thing going on right now in the Christmas season, because uh, you hate to see uh, a culture so afraid of mentioning Christmas or having anything to do with it in their store, uh, and yet it's still a big, big business at this time. Well. Uh, let's do this. Let's go. Let me point out just a few verses in the Old Testament, beginning in Genesis forty-nine, and let me remind you that since Jesus' name is going to be is going to mean salvation when He's given the name Jesus. By the way, there were there are two other prominent men in the Old Testament with that name. Do you, you know who they were? Joshua. Joshua. Joshua is is the Hebrew way of saying Jesus, Jesus being a Greek name, and Hosea. Ho, well, Hoshea and Hosea uh, are names for, are also names. So all of those, matter of fact, even in the New Testament, in, in the older version, you have a, in, uh, I think it's Stephen's sermon, he mentions Jesus, but he mean, but we mean Joshua by that. So uh, that happens in the book of Hebrews too. So uh, those are equivalent names. One is Hebrew, the other is Greek. But since it means salvation, for example, in, in Genesis 14 and, and verse 18, uh, 49, I'm sorry, Genesis 49 and verse 18, it, right, speaking to the tribe of Dan, Joseph is giving his last words. Uh, or or uh, Jacob is, and he says, Dan shall be a serpent by the way, an adder in the path that biteth the horse's heels so that his rider shall fall backward. Then he says, I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. That's a significant statement when the writers of the Old Testament, and this far back, 1500 years before Christ, says, I have, I'm waiting for thy salvation. When you stack all of these kinds of statements together in the Old Testament, And then the angel says to Mary, you will call his name Salvation. Because of all the things the Old Testament believers waited for, this is the fulfillment of it. This is what they waited for. Uh, 1 Samuel, a little farther past. I don't think I'm taking every one, but just examples that kind of speak of it clearly. In 1 Samuel 2 and verse 1, Hannah prayed. Remember when Samuel was born? Hannah prayed and said, "My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation." In First Chronicles, are you am I going too fast? First Chronicles sixteen. Kind of like a sword drill, huh? How long has it been since you've done that? David is praising the Lord as the ark is being brought back. And so uh, 1 Chronicles 16, verse 23, Sing unto the Lord all the earth, show forth from day to day his salvation. And in verse 35 of that same chapter when he says, And say ye, save us, O God, of our salvation. Kind of saying it twice there. Give us salvation, God of our salvation. Save us. Remember, his name should be called Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In the book of Psalms, uh, just a few, but Psalm 9, uh, if I counted right, just in a concordance, there are 90, or uh, 61, I mean, 61 mentions of the name salvation in the book of Psalms. Psalm 914 is very typical. That I, I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. You know, uh, the Jewish people and the Messianic Jewish people like to speak of Jesus as, you remember how they say his name? Yeshua. Remember that? It's kind of a, the Hebrew way that they, they like to use the Hebrew version of, of it. And so literally you have here, I will rejoice in thy Yahshua. So here's, here's salvation as we have it translated. But who knows? David may have meant the Messiah himself, Yeshua, who is salvation. Uh, 13, uh, Psalm 13 and verse 5 says... But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. And 14, verse 7, close by there. Oh, that salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. When the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. You know, Thy Kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and that salvation will come out of Zion. And then, uh, in the uh, in the minor prophets, if uh, if you can go there with me, uh, Habakkuk, first of all. Well, actually, Micah comes just before Habakkuk, so. If, you, if you, you go right past uh, Jonah and then to Micah, chapter 7, verse 7 says, Therefore I will look unto the Lord, I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me, the God of my salvation. And then Habakkuk, to your right, just a couple small books, 3.18 Habakkuk says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. And similarly, Zechariah, third one from the, from the end, 9-9, nine, nine, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, daughter of Jerusalem, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, he is just, and having salvation, lowly riding upon an ass, and upon a colt the foal of an ass. So that's a famous verse, of course, quoted often. And uh, he, when he comes, he has salvation. All right, go on to Matthew then, just to your right, and remember these verses in Matthew chapter 1. We'll spend more time in the, in the New Testament. Here is that story of Mary and Joseph, and the angel of the Lord comes and speaks to uh, Joseph and uh, and says in verse 20, uh, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. By the way, do you understand that he's saying there life begins at conception? (laughs) And, And Jesus became incarnate at Mary's conception. And she shall bring forth a son, and shall, thou shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And at the end of verse 23, his name is also Emmanuel, which comes from Isaiah, of course. Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So the salvation that comes in the person of Jesus is also God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. Of course, Jesus will have uh, a number of names uh, like that. Luke chapter 1, when John the Baptist is born and his parents, you know, his father Zachariah gets his voice back and praises the Lord, and and uh, not only that, but uh, earlier when uh, Mary uh, praises the Lord. Let's go there first. Mary does it in Luke one thirty one. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, the angel saying to Mary, and bring forth a son, shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, shall be called the son of the highest. The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. But in verse 71, you have Zechariah praising the Lord that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, that he uh, would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. So these are fulfillments of those things we read in the Old Testament. And then in, in Luke also, chapter 3. Uh, this is just the baptism of Jesus. is pro- um but... Um, This is John uh, praising, especially in verse fifteen and sixteen, uh, the one that he baptizes that he's not worthy to untie the shoes and so forth. All right, but let um, in um, I, I'm going to read a, a verse in uh, Titus, but only as example, and then we're going to start in in uh, uh, the book of uh, Acts here in a minute. But it, you know. In Titus, you have a real typical statement in Titus 1.4. As this book opens up, Paul begins this little letter. But listen to the names in a typical verse like this. To Titus, mine own son after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and the Lord, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Uh, all of those names attributed to Christ. He is God in the flesh. He is the Christ. He is Savior. He's Lord. Uh, Unto us a child is born, a son is given. The government should be upon his shoulders. His name should be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The New Testament has no problem referring to any of those and applying them to Christ also. Now, uh, You know, I brought along a quotation before we go to the book of Acts and things that are said there. You know, I reference that when we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those of us who believe in inspiration, believe that God inspired these books and they are without error, we have an inerrant Bible, including the Gospels, then uh, we read this and we believe exactly what it says. But liberals have always uh tried to shy away from that because if you if you read what Matthew Mark Luke, and John say about jesus you you either have to believe it all or nothing all right so uh c s Lewis who uh, you know taught at Oxford and uh, died in nineteen sixty three same day John Kennedy was shot and it, probably in those days, the 40s and 50s and into the 60s, was, was probably the, the most well-known apologist for the Christian faith of anybody. He was an atheist who became uh, a believer. So his famous book, Mere Christianity, he's talking about how the liberals take Jesus. And he said, Jesus told people that their sins were forgiven. This makes sense only if he really was the God whose laws are broken and whose love is wounded in every sin. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. Quote, I'm, re- I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't, ex- I don't accept his claim to be God. And then Lewis, end of quote. So Lewis says, this is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said, would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or he would uh, be the devil of hell. You cannot shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him, kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. (laughs) And I have, uh, in my quotes, probably a half a dozen others who said very similar things. I mean, you know, when, when Jesus, if somebody you knew claimed to be God, what would you think of him? You know, if somebody you knew just said, well, I can forgive your sins. If somebody you knew claimed that if you kill him, he'll, he'll rise from the dead in three days. Again, he's saying he's either a lunatic, <laughs> you know, but if he can do it, then he is who he says he is. And so there's no middle ground he, uh, with what Jesus said. Well, in Acts chapter 2, In verse 21, this is uh, uh, as Peter's preaching and he he ends the quote uh, from uh, uh, Joel here. And he says, it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. A man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as you yourselves also know. I mean, this was the Jesus. He performed these miracles. He showed that he was God in the flesh. You know that, he says. Look at verse 32. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Didn't he say, you take my life? I'll raise it up again in three days. We are the witnesses. We saw him and felt him and heard him and ate with him and so forth. Verse 36, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, Lord and Christ. Lord meaning God in the flesh and Christ being the Messiah, the God-man, Yeshua, the one that the psalmist wrote about, the one that the Old Testament prophet said, I will rejoice in thy Yahshua. He made this Jesus, that person. You have to understand that. In verse 38, Peter said unto them, Repent, be baptized, every one in you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin or because of the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So in these statements, uh, You know, we act upon the name Jesus. We're even baptized. As a matter of fact, if we went right back to the Great Commission at the end of Matthew, we could have read there when you go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, uh, you make disciples of all nations, and then you baptize them in the name of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy uh, Spirit. And so, Even our baptism is done in the name of Jesus. And these verses that I've picked out of the the New Testament here, each of them says something to us about what we should do or think or believe because of the name Jesus. That's my point in these verses in the New Testament. So if we started with Matthew 28, 19, be baptized in his name, and that Besides, you know, I guess we should say believe on his name, of course, which we'll see in these verses, and then baptized in his name. So you start out your Christian life basing your belief and the testimony of your belief uh, on the name Jesus, all right? Um, so go to Romans 15, and uh, we'll kind of jump off from there, then to 1 Corinthians. Romans 15, at the end of that book, and verse 9. Paul's writings now, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. So he quotes the Old Testament here, of course, but he's saying that uh, we should sing unto his name. Do we not do that in our churches? Isn't that what our hymns are about and that why we sing the songs that we sing, we sing unto his name? we take away the name of Jesus, we're going to take away a lot of our songs. First Corinthians, just a page to your right then, in in chapter 1 and verse 10, Paul is beginning his letter and he says, now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you speak the same thing. In other words, you and I are, (laughs) to use the old word, we are beseeched by that name. You know, if the if the biblical writer says, "I implore you, I beg of you, do this because of the name of Jesus Christ," I mean that that means a lot to us. You know, if if we if we uh, pray, don't we pray in Jesus' name? Uh, so we're employed, we're beseeched to do something in Jesus' name. Uh, to sing in Jesus' name, to pray in his name, to give thanks for our food in his name. And here he says, in the same way, let there be no divisions among you. Of course, that was a big problem in Corinth. And I beseech you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ not to do this or, or to do it right. Chapter 5 and, and verse 4, I'm still in 1 Corinthians This is the chapter on discipline when they had to call this brother into account who was practicing fornication in the church. And he says, Deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And um, I should have read verse 4, I read verse 5, yeah, verse 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. So twice he mentions that name in verse 4 and says, when you have to take church action on things, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we do that, it will bring a lot of proper attitude and speaking to uh, such a situation. Chapter 6 and verse 11, when he describes the terrible things in verses 9 and 10, the, the sins of this generation, and he says, And such were some of you, in verse 11, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So, You're saved, you're justified, you're even sanctified, you're washed from these old sins in what? In the name of Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now go uh, to Ephesians, to your right a little further. And again, just picking out some of the verses that seem to say things we should do because of the name of, of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5 and verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we do that. We give thanks for our food. We give thanks to God when we pray. We, we review the blessings that God has poured out upon us on that day or the day before, and, and we thank him for it in the name of Christ. None of these blessings would come our way if it were not for him. Philippians, which is to your right, and just past the verses that we're preaching from, you remember this in in Philippians 2, 9, and 10, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father someday I've said it often I know in sermon you know your tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord the only question that people have to answer is, will you do it before it's too late or will you do it after it's too late? I tell you something just as an aside here, folks. I, It's sad to me when we see these, these uh, uh, what do you call them, bombers, um, suicide bombers. That strap a bomb on themselves and walk into a public place and blow themselves up, in the name of what? Not Jesus Christ, in the name of Allah, or, or some false religion. You know, it, you, you are sending yourself out into eternity with no further chance. you're basing everything you do on your faith, a false faith on a name other than the name that is given to us, one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And you blow yourself up and send yourself into eternity based on some other name. It's it saddened to me. I mean, sure, it, it, as an American and a patriotic American, it makes me angry. I mean, I think we're being, we're being attacked and, and invaded and all the rest. But as a Christian— it's, got, it's sad as anything. I'm sad for anybody that goes out into eternity like that. And, and Jesus gave us the picture in Luke 16 of the rich man who died not having put his faith. And it says instantly, in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torment. Now can you imagine somebody who has an opportunity to accept Christ as Savior, to believe on that name, in the, whatever years they have left in their life, and a lot, a lot of times these are young people, of course, and you take away that, that opportunity for the rest of eternity. You take away your opportunity, send yourself into eternity, and immediately you lift up your eyes in hell, being in torment by the flame, and say, no other chance. I'm here forever. Can you imagine? I, I feel sorry for anybody. Not mad at him, I feel sorry for him. I'm mad at him on a purely human basis, but you know, it's sad. And and not only that, folks, I, I should add that just because you are killed by someone like that doesn't mean you're going to heaven either. And we can die in many different ways. And we have a way of making martyrs out of people who die like that. But if they die without putting their name, their trust in Jesus Christ, they're not going to heaven. They'll go to the same hell that person who killed them is going to. That's a sad thing. And so today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Uh, you do it while, quickly while you have a chance. All right. Um, then Colossians, if you go a, a little, uh, just one more book to your right, Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Whatsoever you do in, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Verse 23 is very similar. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not under men. So in all things that we do, uh, we do it in the name of, uh, of the Lord Jesus. A good day at work, you know, a good day at home, uh, a good day in church, you know, wherever, and whatever you do. Do it heartily and give thanks to the Lord as you do it. That's the way we ought to live life. Now, past Thessalonians to uh, Timothy, Second um, 2 Timothy 2.19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ do what? Depart from iniquity. It's a very personal thing, isn't it? I mean, uh, when we see sin in our lives... If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John says, brethren, if any man sin, I write these things to you that you sin not, but if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins. So so, uh, when we see sin in our lives, we run to our knees and we we pray in Jesus' name and confess our sins uh, because of him and to him. So Uh, That's a great statement. Then uh, to your right to Hebrews, again, I'm I'm skipping through a lot. Of course, the name appears a lot more times than these. But chapter 2, verse 12, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. So he quotes uh, here the psalmist. And we read a quote very similar to this, and so uh, we are to sing praise in the church. As a matter of fact, even Jesus taught his disciples to do that after the Last Supper. And so we do also, and we sing praise to him and in his name in the church. James, just past Hebrews a little ways, James chapter 2 and verse 7, let me read 6 also but you have you have despised the poor do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which you are called i mean i think james is saying here you you are called you are called to salvation by this name and in another way, you, you are called by that name if, you're, if your name is Christian. I mean, that, that like, you, you know, you're called by your last name. You're called by the name Christian. And so you protect it. You protect it in your speech. You protect it in your testimony. Uh, you're offended by it when other people use it unwisely and, and blaspheme it and so forth. And so he, James is kind of appealing to that, to these people. Uh, that this is the attitude you ought to have. And if you go around despising poor people that are still called by that name and you praise rich people who blaspheme that name just because they're rich, what kind of loyalty is that to the name that you're called by? You you should, you should uh, appreciate everyone who's called by that name and not appreciate so much those who blaspheme that name. Okay? And then... Um, Chapter five of James and verse 14. Is any sick among you when when we go to someone who's sick and we help them? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. I don't know if you remember a while ago that I taught a lesson on that anointing, and I, I have a Lathea article that I wrote on it too, if you've forgotten. But here, there are two words for anointing. And the one word that is used here in this verse means literally to smear oil on your body. The other word, krio, comes from the word Christ, and that means like Christ was the anointed of God. The Holy Spirit has anointed you. The Holy Spirit didn't put anything physical on your body, but the Holy Spirit came in and lived with you. In that sense, you are anointed of God. But here... Uh, You have the same word used like in the passage where the good Samaritan took the, the man who was wounded and he smeared oil on his wounds, poured in oil and wine. And that's what's happening here. It's not a put a drop of oil on somebody's head and pray that he'd be anointed by the Holy Spirit or something. This was the way they had taken care of a sick person. They put oil on his body. Uh, some, uh, some of us still do that, uh, you know, on some sore spot or some infected spot or whatever. There's all kinds of oils for this kind of thing. That's what it means there, so just an aside. And then First uh, Peter chapter 4 and uh, verse 14. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. <laughs> really? Yeah. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he's evil spoken of, but on your part, he's glorified. So sometimes you're going to be reproached. But you're going to be sworn at, you're, whatever, for because you're a Christian, because you carry the name Christian. We see the edges of that encroaching on our culture right now, where to be a Christian is becoming a very negative thing in many circles. But happy are you if you're reproached for the name of your Savior. He was too for your sake, by the way, is what Peter is saying here. He was reproached for you, and you ought to be happy to be reproached for him. Then in 1 John, to your right a little further, I'll go quickly here. 1 John 3.23, here is the uh, ultimate oxymoron in the Bible this is his commandment that you should believe. An oxymoron is something that's, that's an apparent contradiction. Belief has nothing to do with works, right? <laughs> but here you're, you're commanded <laughs> to believe. You, you believe, but uh, that's the command of God, that you do not work. It's kind of a funny thing. But this is the commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. So the great commandment in the Bible is to believe. And then uh, two more. In Revelation uh, chapter 2, verse 13, to the church at Pergamos. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith. Even in those days where in Antipas, my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwells. And so we are to hold fast our faith in his name. And then lastly, Revelation 22, verse 4, when we finally get to heaven, in that new Jerusalem where we will live forever. They shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads. I call it divine graffiti. <laughs> the, the first time that I'm going to allow a tattoo on my skin. But then that one I will. Uh, and he puts his name on me and I can wear it forever. So... Uh, The name of Jesus, the point is, and one of the point I've been trying to make in this lesson, uh, throughout the scripture uh, is important, and the name Jesus is important to us in everything that we do in our Christian life. We ought to hold it like that. Okay, let's pray quickly. Father, thank you for our time here this morning and the review of these scriptures and verses that we've heard. Uh, Father, as we come to you in Jesus' name, and we beseech you by this name, Uh, Oh, Father, we ask you would make us this kind of people and help us to do everything in light of the name that we bear. May you be glorified by that, too. We'll thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, and thank you for being here this morning.